We are week three in our devoted series. David is tackling. We're doing 10 weeks on the 10 things that we see in Acts 2 that the first century church was devoting themselves to. And today, uh, the word is fellowship, fellowship. So if you want to turn to Acts chapter 2, I think he's going to read that passage. And then you were just putting a little time in Ephesians 2. A little bit. A little bit. So maybe Acts 2, Ephesians 2, if you have your Bibles, turn your pages there. Uh, David and his wife, Laura, and their boys, they moved here in 2010. They beat Lindsay and I to Fort Collins by a year, and they've been a part of our church family for a little more than a year. They lead one of our life groups. It's a joy for me to have David uh, teach this morning. Thank you again. I hope your jokes are just as funny this service as they were last one. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so six months ago... I had a dream, and the heart wants what it wants. You don't always have control over that. What came in my mind was being able to do and perform and land a backflip on skis. And I know what everyone is thinking in the room. (laughs) That's not wise. That's not a good call for this, for somebody of this age, for somebody, yeah. All the things. They're like, do you have a gymnast background? No, I do not. Um, but I'm not a total idiot, okay, so I didn't, like, start off and think, like, oh, here's a jump, I'm going to do it right here on skis. I, you know, I'm not a total idiot. So I thought I should do this on a trampoline in our backyard. And so uh, I've watched our, our oldest son, uh, Josiah, uh, do a backflip on the trampoline, and I thought, you know what, I taught him to do a backflip off the diving board, uh, I can do this on a trampoline. You've got to be able to do it on a trampoline before you do it on skis. So I get on the trampoline and start kind of bouncing and talking myself into it. And I don't know if you've, any of you have been on a trampoline in a minute. When you haven't, you get kind of motion sick almost. So it's like, I wasn't sure if it was the nerves of that or actually landing the back flip that I was worried about. So I'm, I'm you know, he walked me through it. He was very nice about it, very uh, loving and kind. And then he used the phrase, you know, not, you, at the end, you just have to, you jump and then you commit. So I'm like, okay, I'm bouncing, I'm bouncing. And I, 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 I jump and I committed, but I landed very squarely on my neck. And I heard a pop. And um, I can just tell you that, like, that's not like an endearing sound to me, is hearing my neck pop for some reason, because I don't know what's going on uh, physically in that moment. Um, so I just kind of laid there. The body did the full check of, like, are you, can you move your toes? You know, my son is laughing at me, uh, not to throw him under the bus, but that's how it was. And so I crawl off the trampoline, and, uh, but I committed, and I, ha- I, didn't, I, did, I never tried it on skis, by the way, so that's not, that hasn't happened yet. We're still trying to talk ourselves into it, but he, he'll do it before I do. Uh, but that's, you know, that's kind of how life goes sometimes. Sometimes you just have to commit, okay? So, uh, and I'm David Sutton. Uh, you mentioned that. My wife uh, and our boys, uh, we only had one at the time, and then uh, Chris and Randy Freeman um, and their daughter at the time, our best friends. We moved to Fort Collins in 2010. Uh, we moved here to start a church, to plant a church. Um, one thing in that process that, that the four of us kind of knew was we really came as missionaries. We really came uh, to try to make disciples. Because you can have, it turns out, you can have a church and not have disciples. I do not see anywhere in the world or in the Bible where you have disciples and you don't have a church. So we came to make disciples. That was our hope. We didn't just want to plant a flag and be like, uh, everybody come, because they wouldn't, Right. Um, but we did commit to Fort Collins. We love Fort Collins. Um, 
That church plant, you know, sometimes when you commit, uh, sometimes things don't go as planned, always, or exactly like you think in your head. Um, and that's not, that's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, the church plant went that way. We, you know, stayed in Fort Collins, uh, started a coffee business along the way. My wife and I, uh, Chris started a, um, you know, he makes uh, fly fishing equipment and, and our wives have jobs and things. And then we joined in, with another church plant. Um, and that one kind of didn't go as, you know, we thought either. But about a year ago, uh, we landed here and um, have loved it ever since and um, have just really enjoyed and, and been served so much by just God's message of grace and his love in our life. Um, so if you'll turn to Acts chapter 2, as we talk about, um, you know, this idea of sometimes you have to commit, um, the way this phrase is, it was, and they devoted themselves to the, apostle, to the apostles' teaching. They committed to it, um, and fellowship, and the breaking of bread, and prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, all who believed together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. And we look at this um, as a church, as a moment in church history, as kind of the birth and the beginning of the New Testament church. This is after they got the, received the Holy Spirit. And it was just, all heaven was breaking loose. I mean, it was just an awesome time. And we look at that and kind of see that as a moment in time. But there are some things we can, we can glean from it. We can, you know, see. Number one, they devoted themselves to these things. They committed to it. And that's a really powerful thing to think about that they devoted themselves to fellowship and the apostles' teaching, breaking your bread. And it says that their number was being added to daily. That's incredible. So on this idea of fellowship, um, there's, when, I got, when he texted me about fellowship, I was like, oh, that's not a small topic, great. You know, it's not all throughout the Bible. Um, but, so I'm kind of breaking it into two parts. So if you follow with me, there's kind of two, two areas of fellowship that the Bible really, really hinges on and really goes deep into. And that's uh, fellowship with God and God's fellowship with man, that, that we have that fellowship. And then, and then man, made in the likeness of God, made in his image, that we have fellowship with one another. And that this design of the fellowship with one another is a physical you know, picture of the spiritual thing that's happening. And that we get to be a part of that in both directions. And that's just part of the design. You go back to the very beginning of the Bible, like first chapters of the Bible. You have the whole creation story. God, God made, he made, he made. Gets to, he made man in his image, formed him, you know, in his likeness. And the most beautiful picture is, it says that God breathed life into Adam's nostrils. When Adam breathed in his first breath of air and life entered his body, the first thing as he opened his eyes was God. And that picture of fellowship with God is one that continues throughout the whole Bible. We know the story. Uh, there was uh, some decisions made early on um, that kind of broke that relationship and caused a divide there, um, and we'll get into that. But, but that picture of God creating man and having fellowship with him, communing together with him, 
I mean, just imagine in your mind's eye, like, what that must have been like to just breathe in life for the first time, and then there's God. Now, the great thing is, the Bible talks about this not just being limited to Adam. It talks about this, that we have this kind of life, okay? So in... Uh, Sorry, I got off on my, on my notes. You should see these notes. There's something else. Um, in, Matthew, uh, in Matthew 22, verse 34, um, and this is, this is the Pharisees talking to him, and we're actually going to skip to um, verse 36. It says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? They're trying to pin him on something. Uh, he responded. He said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and with all your soul, and this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second one's like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments uh, depend all the law and the prophets. So he says basically, hey, look, um, you love God and you love your neighbor as yourself. The rest are going to take care of themselves. And if you think about that, like if you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to kill them. You know, you don't want to murder them. Uh, you don't want to have what they don't have. Or what, I mean, you don't want to have what they have. You don't want to take from them. You want to love them. So it's just, in this picture, he gave a very simplistic example of you love God with everything that you are. And then you love your neighbor as yourself. Everything else will fall into place. Okay? Now, another area that, that, um, that goes into this is in Ephesians chapter 2. So if you'll, uh, we'll be there for just a minute, so... I'm in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse, uh, we're going to do 4 through 10. It says, but God, rich in mercy, because of the great love which he, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Again, that picture of God breathing life into you. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this picture of communing with God, uh, with being with God, um, is one that, you know, it talks about us being seated with Christ. That is a very friendly position with the creator of the universe. In other parts of scripture, it calls us co-heirs with Christ. Co-heir, that's like adopted children into God's family with Jesus. He's our, like, stepbrother. He's our brother in all this. God made us this way to be together. That's incredible. It changes everything. So this idea of loving God, that, that allows us to love our neighbor. And it's not even that we're accomplishing this love. It goes into the fact that it's like, it's not even through works. It's not through the things that you're doing. It's not through your action. It's not through your good character. It's not through your cleverness or like ability. It is my work, God speaking. It is the work of God that he draws us. That's incredible. By the way, it takes all the work off of you. 
So I don't know what you've done to try to get to God. I've tried a lot of things. It didn't make God love me anymore. He loved me with total fullness, no matter what I did. The interesting side of that is, it still doesn't matter what I do. God's going to love you the same if you don't come to church next week, if you don't read your Bible this week. He's going to love you the same. It doesn't change how he interacts with you. It's not works-based. But the idea that we get to, that we have this opportunity to get to know God and fellowship with him, that is an incredible opportunity. So there was a story of a man named Vavlov. He was a Russian scientist um, going into World War II. And uh, I don't know how many of you know this. This I know this is weird history because it's the siege of Leningrad and we're going to get into some weird stuff. Kind of, but it is what it is. Okay, so he is the father, known as the father of seed banks. Okay, I don't know if you know what a seed bank is. I'll give you a short definition of it. It's where people go all over the world collecting seeds from all these other places. I mean, we're talking Ethiopia, India, Mexico, America. I mean, all over collecting seeds of plants. And then they bring them together. And the idea is, you know, the plants that we have, we'll take corn. We kind of have one kind of corn that we eat a lot of. What happens when, like, a fungus attacks that corn? Uh, we have a big problem, unless we have all these other seeds that we can cross-pollinate and create a new line that's resistant to the fungus, okay? So this is, not an, this is, this is a new idea in the 30s, 40s. By the way, one of the largest seed banks in the world is uh, it held at CSU. Um, it is, like, right in our own backyard. It's really incredible. So this guy has all these seeds. He collected other scientists, botanists, uh, to help him with his work. And during the siege of Leningrad, 900 days the city was under siege. No food in. Okay, people were starving left and right. In the laboratory and at the bank of seeds, nine of the botanists died of starvation. Okay, one of them died on a desk of starvation surrounded by pounds and pounds of rice. That's, I mean, like, that is a weird thing. Because, I mean, like, again, I'm thinking, you know, we have 15 pounds of rice. Do we really need, like, 15 pounds uh, for the seed bank, or would, like, three do? You know, like, I'm going to just take a little bit here, a little bit there, uh, maybe have some beans. The point is, nine of them died surrounded by food, by these seeds. And when the information, the international community was worried because it was the only seed bank in the world at the time. Whenever the siege ended, uh, humanitarian aid rushed in. So did scientists to the seed bank to try to secure it. And they found these other scientists that had died. When some of the international community that weren't there found out about it, the comment was, oh, of course, they were followers of Vavlov. As in, like, yeah, they were willing to die for that. They believed in it. Sometimes you have to commit. Like, they committed to this idea. And I just want you to, you to join with me in thinking, like, I, I just desperately wish, as we move into this idea of loving, you know, loving God, but now loving our neighbor, what if our neighbor, what if the community of Fort Collins looked at the church and was like, oh, of course, they're followers of Jesus. Like, that's obvious. But we're not going to get there. Just, you know, like that. Uh, it's going to take some time. Um, so as we, as we think about this, this idea of loving your neighbor, um, we're going to jump in uh, Ephesians just to 
Verse 19, it's still in chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and of prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So this is not talking about us as a people, as fellowship with each other, that God is knitting us together. He's bringing us together to be his temple in the world, to be the structure that he resides in, that he is a part of, that he is active in, that we, he is, we have communion with him, we have fellowship with him. It's also through each other that we accomplish that. And that's, that is just the fact that he allows us uh, to be a part of this is kind of mind-boggling to me. In First uh, Thessalonians verse two, and this was a really pivotal verse for us as we came to Fort Collins as we moved here. Um, I know the Freemans and and us, and we just prayed over this uh, as we came. So this is in First Thessalonians two, verse five. It says, "For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness." Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become so dear to us. And it, as we were preparing to move here, you know, all these years ago, that picture of to, to come and share not only the gospel, but our lives as well, that everything that we have is yours. I mean, that's, that's kind of this very simplistic version of, like, that's discipleship. That's kind of, that's really it. Like, everything I am is yours. Uh, being a father, being a husband. Like, I'm gonna let you into all the parts of my life to see, and it's yours. And, and God made us so that we can have that kind of relationship with other people. We weren't made to be in isolation. Um, and I, I love that um, a big part of this is that it's just, it's not transactional. It has nothing to do with what's provided. Paul goes out of his way to say, uh, we didn't come for money. We didn't come um, for, for power. We didn't come for accolades. We didn't come for any of that. We came for the gospel, but not only the gospel. We came to share with you our lives as well. So as we invite people into this, as, we, as you invite people into your life, this is not a transactional relationship. You remember back whenever God talked about, you were once aliens and strangers, but God brought you in through nothing of your own. And it even talks about the fact that there are the good works that God's prepared in advance that we would just walk in them. So there's a part that it's always kind of like, what should I do? <laughs> like, what's God calling me to do? How does it look? What is it? And we just, we make it into all these things. And God's going, you're my workmanship. I've, I've already made 
these fantastic, incredible, good things that you would just walk into it. And the fact that we get to do that with our neighbors and with our friends and with our community as a church, but also with those around us. And, um, you know, as you think about this, as you kind of, I don't know, this picture of neighboring, because it is, you know, in Acts, it's talking about believers. But it also talks about the fact that, like, a lot of people were added, added to their numbers each day. So there was, like, people that weren't fully on board around and that they were intentionally devoted to one another. Okay, we should be that kind of intentionally connected with those that are around us. Where my family and I are going to Jamaica, uh, pray for us. Uh, yeah, we've already had a, a, a Swain Sutton chat of like, look, don't judge everything that's said or done on the trip. Um, certainly not for my kids or, you know, <laughs> you know like... Uh, we're going to be tired and a lot of things, you know. <laughs> uh, but, and I'm, I'm stoked to go. And I, I, I look forward to the opportunity to be a part of the church that's there and the relationship that exists. And honestly, that's going to be like this little slice of heaven. It's, and this is, a, this is already a little slice of heaven of getting together. Um, but going to Jamaica, having people from a different culture, from a different church, from people we had never known before, and the fact that we're going to be like kind of brothers and sisters almost immediately because of who God is, that's incredible. That's heaven, like on earth. And I am really excited about that. I'm stoked about that. I wish all of us could go. I wish their whole church could come here. Also, I kind of need some of my friends to join that aren't a part of this. I need some of the people that I live life with, some of my neighbors. They need to be in this party. They need to be in heaven. We're going to have all of eternity to do this. We get to be with each other all the time. One thing we can't do in heaven, one thing that no one is going to like, be told for the first time is about the freedom in Jesus, because they're already going to know. So we might as well like, cut loose now, because this is our one shot to get to share that message. Heaven's not it. Heaven, everybody's going to know. This is it. So some kind of tools to help you with that. Um, yes, Jamaica is our neighbor, right? We've gotten really good about that with the church. It's like, you know what? The world is our neighbor. You know, uh, the people of Catadupa, they're our neighbor. And it's like, yeah, they are, right? The world's a small place. They're our neighbor. Also, your neighbor is your neighbor. So that's kind of the, like, let's not over, like, analyze it too much. Your actual neighbor is your neighbor, too, one thing that we did when we, and this isn't mine, I it took it from somebody, but I'm going to share it with you. So imagine a tic-tac-toe board, you know? You got the square in the middle. Do not play that square. Every kid you play is going to play that square. Don't play it. That's a, mm, you want to play the outside first. Uh, but we're not going to get into game strategy right now. Imagine that tic-tac-toe board. Put your house right in the middle. Now, fill in that tic-tac-toe board with the names of your neighbors. So the one that's across the street gets a box. The one that's kind of catty corner gets a box. You know, the one that you share a back fence with, they get a box. Can we name our neighbors? Because, I mean, this talks about loving God, loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, I don't know all the ways, because there's a lot of ways that people need to be loved, right? I mean, there's people have all kinds of needs going on in their life. They've got struggles. They've got joys. But one thing I'm positive of to love them, it really helps to know their name. That's a great place to start. 
Um, so just kind of in your mind's eye, or maybe on a sheet of paper, start filling those in. And if you have some blank spots, that's okay. That's not a big problem, because we all do. But try to be intentional and like just get out of your comfort zone a little bit. And I don't care if you've lived there for 10 years. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be weird to walk to the person that you share a fence with and be like, hi, I'm really sorry. We've lived next door together, next door to each other for 10 years. And I don't know your name. I'm really sorry about that, but I would love to know your name. It's that simple. Is it going to be awkward? Yeah, but guess what? It's awkward for them as well because they probably don't know your name. So, like, just ask them. It's not hard. You might be embarrassed. Get over it. Because they're, embar- they're going to be embarrassed too. And then the next time you have, like, a, you know, a problem, you're going to know their name. Like, how awesome would it be if, if, like, code enforcement was just not a thing in Fort Collins? It's like, oh, everybody's yard is taken care of. Everybody's trash cans are put away. Everybody's uh, front sidewalk has been shoveled. I don't know if you shovel the front sidewalk. We live on a corner. <sighs> That's tough. My parents lovingly, because I think they did it once. I think that was the real deal, but <laughs> I think they helped shovel once. Got a snowblower for us, and that was awesome. So I'm just blowing snow like wherever. But the thing is, like, just walk another yard. Like, walk to the next house. Find a way to serve them Intentionally. And um, let's get creative in this and how we love our neighbor. Like, how fun is it that we can have some leeway on that? It doesn't have to be a certain thing. And I'll go ahead and tell you, none of this requires a church budget. It doesn't require the blessing of Jason or Lindsay. It doesn't require anything except just you to be intentional where you're at. You don't have to start a new thing. You don't have to start a club. You don't have to, like, start a Bible study. You don't have to lead Like, the cool thing is, Fort Collins has a lot of community. Find a community that you have common ground with and just be a child of God there. If it's around bicycles, awesome. If it's around, uh, you know, I was going to say flowers. I don't, you know, like planting, I don't know. Sure, what would you call that? Plants, gardening. (laughs) I'm obviously very involved in that community. Um, I love seed banks. I don't love the seeds, you know. Um, whatever it is, those, those, those neighbors that you just met, that you got their name, invite them to a barbecue. Summer's awesome in Fort Collins. The lights, you know, it's sunny until like nine o'clock at night. Now's a great chance to just say, hey, we're having a bunch of people over. And maybe you're the type that does that already. Awesome. Uh, if you're the type that has like a big group of people, like invites like a bunch of families over at once, maybe try to switch it up. I'm just saying, we're going to invite just one family. If you're, the, if you're the one that's like, I only do one family, that's it, that's all my house can handle, invite everybody and just see how it goes. It may not be something you do all the time, but you might learn something about yourself or about your community. And again, to love them, it's going to take some time. It's going to take their name, you know, at least. Even when Jesus called Zacchaeus out of the tree, called him by name, Zacchaeus was shocked by that. You would know my name? There's some power in that, and it's so simple. And then with that, it's going to be messy, too. We talked to, I mean, I mentioned, I've, I've had struggles. We've had, you know, things that would be looked at as failures. Um, you're going to encounter things 
uh, with sickness, with divorce, with uh, struggle, with financial struggles, with losing jobs. It's tough. Life is not always easy. This relationship with your loving your neighbor as yourself, it's not always going to be uh, a party. But when you're in that mess with them, that is a very sacred, holy, I mean, like, thank God that you're there. Because one thing about all this is as you get to know people, it becomes less us and them. And it's not like us, you know, there's us, the church, and then there's them out there. Like, and it also, that's a two-way street, too, because everybody that's outside these walls, it's not an us-them either, because now it's like, oh, it's, it's David, or it's, you know, insert your name there. All of a sudden, you have humanity around that, and there's a lot of people that don't have a really deep relationship with a believer. They've heard a lot of things. They have a lot of assumptions as to what happens inside these walls on a Sunday morning, but they don't know. And guess what? They're not coming in. There's a lot of baggage that these walls like prevent people from getting in. And it was our hope, our prayers. We moved Fort Collins that you know a church would be a byproduct of discipleship. I also like the world is not going to be reached by this building. It's going to be reached by the church, by us, and it's going to happen probably over a dinner table, over a street, over tears. You know, I don't know, at times we should keep some champagne on ice for that moment when they come over and they're like, hey, like the best thing happened. Like, let's be extravagant in how we love our neighbors. I mean, how fun is that, that we get to do that? And God describes it in such a simple way. He's like, I've already made these good works that you should just walk in them. So as we commune with God um, and as we, we love God, and the byproduct of that is that we look to our neighbor and we love them as ourself. This isn't to prove to God that we're something. This isn't to prove to our neighbor something. This is because it's who we are. Sometimes you have to commit. It doesn't always end like you think it'll end. Sometimes your neck hurts after. And you, and you crawl off. But we have to commit. And the last thing is just that we, can, we do have this opportunity to love extravagantly. God has shown us this picture of loving us extravagantly, over the top. I don't know how many of you have gotten married before. Most of us have been to a wedding, if, if nothing else. Like, think about a wedding day. It is expensive. <laughs> I haven't gotten married in a long time, but, and I don't plan to. That's important. I feel like I should. Um, hmm. Happy Father's Day. Um, change the subject. But you think about like the fact that like, you know, the flowers and the food and the church and like everybody, you know, you get a dress and the, the groomsmen and bridesmaids. And I mean, people come in from all over. It is extravagant. It is over the top. Let's love like that. Let's be a church that, like, loves in that way. That's like, that was a little over the top. Awesome. Like, that, that's how, because that's how we're loved. And I'm called to love you like I want to be loved. That's how I want to be loved. Over the top. I want people to be head over heels for me. 
<laughs> not, not in a, right, we, we got it. Um, <laughs> but we have a chance to do that because of, not because of how great we are, but because of who God is and how he changed us and how he didn't just change us. He, just like with Adam, he breathed life into our nostrils and we got to inhale and open our eyes for the first time. So I, that's my prayer is just that in this idea of being in fellowship with God, being in fellowship with one another, that we are bringing heaven to earth. And that we're not bringing it, God is bringing it on our behalf. And we get to partake in that. God, I thank you that you're a God that is over the top. I thank you that you're a God that is extravagant in how he loves us. God, it's not transactional. We didn't bring enough good to the table for you to love us. God, all the good, all the glory, all the love, all the grace was on, from you just lavished upon us. And God, I pray that the fellowship that we have with you, the fellowship that we have with one another, God, that it's just a byproduct of that. God, I pray for our church. I pray for our community. I pray for, God, the coworkers, the family members, the friends that, that God, we just, we just need to be with. We need to be with in times of excitement and joy. We need to be with in times of struggle and pain. God, we need to be there in the mess because you were there in the mess for us. And God, we would be just a reflection of that. God, I just pray that just like this, this first century church, God, devoted themselves to fellowship, to being together. God, that we would devote ourselves to that, that we would live into that. God, that we would, we would commit. Not because you love us more, but because you love us. God, I thank you for the ways that you work. God, for the ways that we know about and the ways that we don't. Shame that I pray. Amen.